when AI becomes the hacker. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Bruce Schneier, author, writer, fellow and lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School, board member of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and chief of security architecture at Enrupt. Welcome back, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. So give our audience a quick summary of your professional background, will you? So I'm a security technologist. I work at the intersection of security, people, and technology, and that is incredibly broad. I started out in cryptography, mathematical security, and have generalized out to computer security, network security, and then really much more the people side, economics, psychology, sociology, and really now the public policy of, of security. And I write, I speak, I teach, I do all sorts of things. I want to drill down on something that you wrote recently. You have a broader definition of hacks and hacking than many. Explain how you define those terms. So I'm thinking about this uh, a lot, that systems are really computerized. And when we think of hacking, which is finding a vulnerability in computer code and exploiting it to make the program do something that it wasn't intended to do, is actually much broader than that. You can imagine the tax code. Right? It's not computer code, but it's an algorithm. Right? Inputs, outputs, the money you owe, made the money you owe. And it has bugs. We call them uh, tax loopholes, right? vulnerabilities. It has um, tax avoidance strategies. I guess those are the exploits. And it has its own team of black hat hackers that we call tax attorneys and tax accountants, whose job it is to find exploitable loopholes in the tax code. And you can think about this in terms of hacking. And you can think about hacking really any social system, systems of politics, systems of governance, our economic systems, our social systems. Anytime someone looks at a system, finds a loophole, finds a trick, finds a vulnerability that they can use to exploit that system, that's a hack. And I think we need to think about hacks that broadly. So taking your definition of hacking into account, what might happen should a reasonably trained artificial intelligence system go to work hacking some important element then of, of our society? So this is where I took my essay. Now, already AIs are finding vulnerabilities in computer code. I mean, they're actually pretty good at it, not great. They're going to get better like every other aspect of AI. And if you think about it, it's the kind of thing you'd expect programs to be good at, right? Millions of lines of code, really boring, looking through it, pattern matching. It's just the sort of thing that machine learning will get, will get good at. And we can extrapolate, a little science fiction here, that that same sort of system can be brought to bear against the tax code millions of lines of documents and laws and IRS rulings and court decisions. I shove it all and give it to the AI and say, maximize my tax savings. And maybe it figures out, right? You incorporate in Delaware and you register your cruise ship in Panama. And uh, maybe that double Dutch Irish sandwich tax loophole that Google and Apple took advantage of where you're using the tax laws of Ireland, of the Netherlands, of the US, and of some offshore tax haven, all together making a tax loophole. 
This is the sort of thing that you could imagine AI is getting good at or doing that with finance, right? feeding it all of the laws of finance, all the information and say, make money. And will it figure out a bunch of hedge fund hacks? I mean, hedge funds are nothing but hacks, right? They're clever tricks. Will it invent more of those? So I think this is worth thinking about because we want to think about what a world would be like when computers start doing that, either with computer code or with non-computer code. So I'm thinking Skynet here. Today, we invest millions of person hours and billions of dollars of human-driven cybersecurity systems. Can an AI-based hacking system become robust enough to think ahead of all that human investment to become unstoppable? So we don't know, right? And again, this is science fiction, but it's worth going through the thought experiment. I mean, let's do it with computer code because we know that's right. That's pretty easy. What happens when you feed an AI Microsoft Windows, right? Whatever 50 million lines of code, however many it is. And will it find what, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 vulnerabilities? Well, if, if Microsoft does it, then they can get patched. That sounds good. If the NSA, the Russian military, the Israelis, the Chinese, Iranians do it. Now they have a whole lot of vulnerabilities they can exploit to hack into systems. It just changes the nature of the game. So the real question is, can the AI mirror the human creativity? Jury's out. But if they can, they'll just do it at speed. Right? They'll do it faster. Now we have an AI that beat the a human champion at Go. Right? When I was a student, we were taught that that would never happen because it's computationally infeasible. And it basically happened because DeepMind was kind of bored one week and they just threw more computing power at the problem. So it's possible. Right? The arms race of finding vulnerabilities and patching them will change speed, scale, and scope when AI start doing it, if AI start doing it. First place to look is computer code. And then we start thinking about the tax code, financial regulations, our political system, right? The, filib the filibuster is a hack. It's an ancient hack, it's from ancient Rome. Right? The rules said you gotta conclude business by the end of the day. And someone said, you know, if I just never stop talking, we'll never be able to do anything, right? Totally a hack. Now it's sort of institutionalized. Could an AI come up with that? Maybe. All right, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington was one of my favorite movies, so you have me right there. Are there some decisions, though, Bruce, that should remain off limits to AI? So should and will are very different words. And we can talk about the morality and ethics of what AI should be doing. But unless there are laws prohibiting those things, AIs probably will be doing it. Right? We might not like that AI is making bail and parole and decisions and screening job applicants and screening applicants to college, but they are. So I less think about what we should do and more worry about what will happen unless it's prevented. And there's gonna be no way to prevent this. I mean, if you think about just even international relations, NSA, Russia, finding vulnerabilities, hacking each other systems, there are gonna be no laws anytime soon that will prevent that. I mean, that's the kind of thing of international treaties and we can't even get landmine treaties signed, let alone hacking treaties. So 
if it is possible, it will happen. So as a security person, I feel my job is to look at defenses and hopefully, you know, others are looking at what should happen, right? We know that uh, Europe right now is coming, trying to come up with AI rules. They're working on shoulds. I want to work on what ifs. Speaking of fences, can we make AI decision-making processes transparent and constrained enough to trust the conclusions? Don't know. The jury's out on that. So here's what we know about explanations. One, they're not really explanations. They tend to be justifications when humans make them. That when we make a decision, we explain it. We make the decision first and then produce the reasons afterwards. That seems to be the way it works, mostly in our cognition. So we're not terribly transparent either. Uh, also, explanations are fundamentally human ways of understanding. They reflect human biases and human ways of thinking. It is not clear that an AI can produce a human understandable explanation because it doesn't think that way. And constraining it to human type of thinking might reduce its efficacy. Now there's, there's research being done on this, so we don't know. But my guess is there will be a class of decision, right? There's, there'll be a class of decisions that are human, and if AI does them, they're explainable, and a class of decisions whose explanation is just kind of beyond human understanding. And that's the way it goes, right? It's got thousands of variables, and they work in a way that just humans can't keep in mind. And there will be no explanation, but it will be a better quality decision by some decision metric. And then we as humans will either have to decide whether we A, trust the computer, or B, decide that that decision shouldn't be made. You know, so you know, let's sort of make this up. If an AI is reading chest x-rays and it just knows which ones are cancerous, and we don't understand how, but we know it's phenomenally accurate. I think we'd be okay if we don't have the explanation. If an AI is making bail and parole decisions, you might step back and say, hey, wait a second. I get that you're making all these weird decisions, but we want you to make sure they're explainable. And if they're less good in some way, we're okay with that because the explanation is valuable to us. Right? So it's gonna depend on really the moral significance of the decisions being made. If an AI is deciding where to drill for oil here or there, I don't care what its reasoning is, just get it right. But if it's making a decision that affects lives, I kind of know I kind of want to know what it's doing. So how do we approach the problem of AI as a hacker? You mentioned laws. Should we consider limits on how broad the concept of general AI can be? I think we do need to think about AI and policy. And the, the document the European, the EU released just uh, last week, I think is a good step in this direction. It's a first step. We need to think about responsible AI, ethical AI, moral AI, what the limits of AI should be. You know, we tend to sort of as society, let you know, the near-term financial interests of a bunch of tech billionaires decide what our world is gonna be like. And that's kind of a dumb way to organize society. So we should do it a little better we're bad at this, it's unlikely we will, but I would like us to have conversations of possibly what limits there should be on AI and not really general AI. So general AI is the AI you see on the movies and TV, right? It's, it's androids, it's robots, it's data from Star Trek, it's C-3PO, I mean, that's general AI. I'm really still talking about specialized AI. 
an AI that it just does one task. Like, so the AI in your Roomba vacuum cleaner, right? All it does is vacuum your floor and not very well. That's the kind of AI I think about when I think about hackers. I don't think of it as a general AI, as an Android, as an artificial person. I think of it just as an expert system, machine learning tool that is fed a whole bunch of data and is told to look for patterns. Bruce, this report is deep and far too more deep than I can get into in this short interview. Um, your work is always good. This is even uh, mind-blowing. If, if somebody wants to get a copy of your report, Bruce, what's the best way they can do that? So if it's, uh, it's called The Coming Risks of AI. So Coming Risks of AI, Bruce Schneier to Google will pull it up. If you go to my website, schneier.com, uh, I think an academic, you'll find it or go to the search engine. But Bruce Schneier AI security will probably pull it up. This shouldn't be hard. Your audience knows how to Google things. <laughs> I would hope so. Bruce Schneier, author, writer, fellow and lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School, board member of the Electronic Frontier Foundation and chief of security architecture at Interrupt. Bruce, if somebody wants to follow you personally, maybe they just want to check out your blog. What's the best way they can do that? Any, I'm on schneier.com. And my email address is on my webpage. So feel free to connect personally. That's fine. But no, I don't tweet. I don't Facebook. I'm a, I have a blog. I'm, I'm really, really old school. Although blogging is, and email newsletters are cool again. It's amazing. I've been doing them since the 90s, and now they are cool again. You're a nervous. You just got to know. things come back around. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us. No, thank you. And... Find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.